friends, Luke, one of the pastors here. Um, I guess as we know, football's over, so I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do this afternoon. <laughs> Struggle's real, right? I tell you, it gets it get, keeps getting worse. I've been sitting on so many bills in my wallet. It's like throwing my back out of alignment. Uh, you know, struggle is real. Last time I went to Starbucks, they're out of caramel syrup. Uh, Chick-fil-A still closed today, so struggle is real. It, it gets even worse if you're The Bachelor. I don't know if you know this show, The Bachelor. There's one guy, and there's like these 25 women competing for him, and he sort of sorts through them like he's trying to find the best avocado at the grocery store or something. And uh, I happened to see the episode last week, this one part, while a girl who'd previously been sent home on an earlier episode, she comes back to try to give it another go at it. And he had to send her home again. I mean, it's bad enough to break up with a girl one time, and then have to do it twice. The struggle is real for that guy. Wow. Well, there's something about the series that we're in that it plays quite well into my tendency for sarcasm. Um, my wife is about sick of my unsympathetic, the struggle is real responses to some of her concerns lately. She doesn't seem to be amused by my quips. But I have to save all of my, my stupid comments for her because I'm not on Twitter. I'm, I'm not a tweeter. So I got nowhere else to go with these gems. Um, I, I feel like I have to stay off Twitter. I just don't trust myself that I'd use it in a, in a healthy and helpful way. I'd probably just devolve into obnoxious cynicism, which, of course, is not what Twitter's for. Uh, it's only for those who use it in productive and meaningful ways. I understand that. So I just, I just stay out of it. See, struggle with sarcasm. It's real. And the struggle is real. That's the series that we're in. As you know, probably, we're working our way through a very famous part of the scriptures, Psalm 23. We're in our fourth week of the series. But I'm told we're actually not being sarcastic in this series, uh, which is good, right? Because I think we're all prepared to acknowledge the very legitimate challenges that life presents, the real issues, the real struggles that uh, set us back or upset us or they get us off track, all of those sort of uh, side effects that come along with living life in this world. Uh, we do struggle. We, we fail. We lose. We grieve. Uh, we get confused. We doubt. We fear. The petty stuff sometimes, well, yeah, sure, but also some, some very real and intense uh, stresses and heartache and turmoil in our families, and anxiety at work, consequences from sin, physical and emotional pain. It's real. And, and I think that if we can acknowledge those uh, real struggles, then we might be able to admit our need for a shepherd. It may create a longing within us to, to be led by someone that we can trust. And that, that someone is uh, the one who has our attention in this series, the shepherd. The shepherd to whom we are introduced in Psalm 23. And so just as we've done the last few weeks, uh, we're going to read Psalm 23 together, standing as we do it, if you can. Go ahead and stand, uh, come to your feet, and we're going to read uh, Psalm 23 together off the screen, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You can go ahead and have your seat. You know, the opening verses of Psalm 23, they don't actually conjure up images of struggle, do they? They're really quite peaceful and quite beautiful. I mean, if you can imagine the scene that's being set by David, the writer, it really is a blue skies kind of a day, isn't it? A very serene setting makes you want to be there and kind of drink it up. It reminds me of uh, one of the images that you might see on one of those uh, inspirational posters. You know what I'm talking about? There'll be a, a picture of like this lush green golf course and then a word underneath it like success. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? It feels like you could make a collage of those posters just from the first three verses of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or the translation that we just read says, I lack nothing. And while you're thinking, fulfillment, right? I, I got everything I need. And then it says that we're taken into, into green pastures. We're lying down in them even. We're, we're grazing in the wide open spaces of the green pastures. Before then we're being led by the quiet waters and the stillness and the calm. So peaceful. It brings refreshment and, and restoration to my soul. And then it says finally that the gentle shepherd uh, leads me on the right path, which I mean, come on, who, who among us doesn't assume that the right path, oh, that's a good path, that's a straight path, that, that leads me to a good place, that's where I want to be. Th this is the, the setting that's being established in Psalm 23. And no wonder the psalm's so famous, right? I mean, who, who wouldn't want these kinds of images to color the way that we think about God? If this is the backdrop to the setting in which my relationship with God is going to play out, well then by all means, the Lord is my shepherd. But a new image is introduced in verse 4. And I remember discovering it for the first time in the King James Version of the Bible, and maybe you did too. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's rather disruptive to the tranquil array of pictures being painted in the first three verses. The valley of the shadow of death. Or in the translation we just read, the darkest valley. Or elsewhere, the valley of deep darkness. The set changes in verse 4. The contrast is stark. Green pastures and quiet waters are no longer in view. I'm not lying down in a place of rest. I'm not grazing in the wide open spaces. I, now the psalm says, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The next verse says, I'm in the presence of my enemies. My enemies, what, where did they come from? Who, who invited them? With one flip of the line in the poem, it becomes clear that very real threats now surround me. The darkness presses itself in upon me. The, the deep darkness, the kind that can be felt. As my feet now try to find their place, not in the grass of green pastures, but on the floor of the darkest valley, hemmed in by the shadow of death. Enemies so close I can smell them. This now is how the scene is set in verses 4 and 5. You might note the contrast in the text, but, but I suspect that most of us have lived long enough to not be surprised by a change like that. That's how life goes, isn't it? As the weather changes, the sunny skies giving way to dark clouds, so it is with life sometimes. Things were going along just fine. Job was going well. Our relationship was strong. I was doing great in school. I, ha I had success and money. I, I was golfing on the course in the picture. 
But then, but then the circumstances flip. The set changed, and, and the struggle is real. went from a snide hashtag to a, a devastating reality. Sickness swooped in from out of nowhere. Job disappeared. A loved one left. Depression moved in. You fell off the wagon. You were abandoned or abused. Life doesn't look the same after that. The steps aren't as sure. The path not as clear. Maybe you find yourself in the valley right now. And you're struggling to remember all the images of what life used to be like when the sky was bluer and the sun shined because now the darkness has overtaken you. Sets of our lives change, don't they? But in Psalm 23, the setting is not the only thing that changes in verse 4. It continues, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There's a, a U-turn in Psalm 23. Not, not a U-turn, but a Y-O-U turn. See, you see, it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. It's talking about uh, the Lord. He leads me, he makes me lie down, he refreshes me, he guides me for his name's sake. I'm talking about him. It's kind of like, like show and tell. If I was in show and tell at school and I brought in something, uh, I brought in my hamster and I would tell you all about him. This is my hamster, uh, gorgeous George. He likes to lie down in these wood chips. He drinks water from this dispenser hanging over his cage. I'm talking about him in the third person. Here he is. You can observe what he does. In the same way, the Lord is my shepherd. There he is. Observe what he does. But now with verse 4, the darkness abounding and the cliffs closing in, the writer is no longer speaking about the shepherd. He's talking to the shepherd. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And with that, we are listening to, not, not to someone tell us about God, but rather we're overhearing an intimate conversation between a sheep and his shepherd. They are close enough to talk with one another in the place where the way is rough and the edges are sharp and the rocks are slick and the darkness is thick. The shepherd draws close to his sheep. The shepherd is in the valley do you know that the shepherd he's not just someone that, that we observe from afar I mean, psalm 23 it does it show and it does some show and tell all about the shepherd but but that's not all that it does it allows you to eavesdrop on an exchange that occurs in the darkest moments of life between a man and his maker a sheep and his shepherd a person and their god and he is not a God who's only to be theorized about or pontificated upon in clear weather. He is a God who is slogging his way right alongside you in the valley, close enough to talk to. That's the shepherd. Do you know that? Do you know him? Do you know him the way that the writer of Psalm 23 knows him? Have you felt his nearness in the darkest moments of life? One of the things that really stands out to me about Psalm 23 is that the way that the writer speaks to God is marked by a tremendous confidence and poise. The circumstances now have, have totally changed. The darkness is oppressive. The situation is threatening. But the word from the one wedged in the valley is, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 23 is not the only time that someone who wrote the Bible has talked to God in the darkness. In fact, the Bible has deep and rich resources for discovering how to speak with God when the way is rough and the darkness is thick. 
And there are many of those times when the words spoken to God in the dark aren't marked by poised and assured tones. Read Psalm 22 right before this. It begins with the cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The same David wrote that. Psalm 88 lays out this litany of troubles that are facing the writer. It caps it all off. The last line of the psalm is, Darkness is my closest friend. Jeremiah, God's prophet, he, he's, uh, he, he finds himself in the pit, in the presence of his enemies. And he's complaining to God all about it. Just coming right out with it. God cursed them, kill them, do bad stuff to them. They forced me into this place. That, that visceral reaction that we all feel and we want to lash out when we suffer an assault against us. All of those emotions are real, right? You felt them before, right? It's part of what happens when the, when the set changes and the rug is pulled out from under us and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the valley. And witness of the Bible says that when that happens, bring all of those emotions and the anger and the questions that come along with that into a dialogue with God. Don't deny that you feel those things or think that it's naughty if you do, but rather deal with all of that in relationship with God. As you hear the different voices in the Scriptures, that's what they're doing. They're laced with emotion, hope wearing thin sometimes, but they're honest about it. And they bring all of that to God in the midst of life's dark valleys. Which is why Psalm 23 stands out. Because, well, it doesn't do that. It does not cry. It does not question. It does not fear. The word from the one wedged between the cliffs is, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm a parent of young children. Uh, I have three daughters, seven, four, and two. I've been told that kids are very perceptive uh, and sensitive to how parents react to a given situation. They, they naturally will take on the emotion, you know, whether it's uh, anxiety or it's something joyful. That all of that is very transferable to the child. And so it's important to be aware of what your kids are picking up from you as you navigate the different circumstances of life. You've got to think about how you're nurturing them emotionally. One of the simple ways that this is relevant for us is uh, with our two-year-old. She is just so clumsy. Uh, the more kids we have, the clumsier they're getting. And she's always falling and banging her head on something. Like if she was our first child, we'd probably have her in a helmet by now. You know, like nervous first-time parents. But as it is, she's our third one, so she's crashing all over the house. And uh, she tends toward being quite emotional and, and dramatic. So when she falls, even if it is like somersault off the table, uh, one of the things that we try to do is not react all panicked and, and dramatic so that she doesn't get the immediate cue like, oh, I better freak out now. Uh, we stay poised. If, if it's something that needs to be sloughed off, like if her head didn't actually make contact with the ground, just, oh, it's okay, and move on. Right? Now, if it's more serious, of course, we're going to address, we're going to comfort her, but we're going to respond in a way that um, de-escalates the situation. Right? A lot of you know what I'm talking about. Well, it was somewhat similar, but the stakes were a little bit higher with our oldest daughter a couple weeks ago when we had to tell her that her school, Mountain Christian School, would be closing at the end of this year as I'm sure all of us know now. 
In our young parenting career, I mean, our, our kids, they still have all their grandparents. They live relatively carefree lives. This was probably the heaviest news that we ever had to deliver in, in, a, in a parent-child conversation. And knowing that the, the way that we conveyed this to our daughter was going to influence how she reacted, we, we tried to tell her in a way that, that didn't dismiss the gravity of it. But it did model a certain poise and confidence, even in the face of something hard, something that we didn't expect or want. Our response to that was and is going to color her response to that. It's going to shape her emotionally one way or another, for better or for worse. So as we're figuring, the the best move that we can make is to, to take into account all of the emotions of the situation, not deny them. And then try to lead our daughter through the next steps with a poised, non-anxious presence. That's what the shepherd is doing in Psalm 23. And the sheep can sense it. Confidence has transferred to the one who wrote these words, for he speaks with a poise that betrays the circumstances he describes. Oh, sure, like any of us, he knows there's a time to rage against the machine and to to ask why and let emotions run their course. Those impulses are all set off when the set changes in life. And it could be like that for you right now. You, You may feel like Psalm 22 is your psalm right now because everything around you suggests that you've been abandoned or forsaken. But would you listen to the quiet, sure voice of Psalm 23 and recognize the truth of what it's saying? For it is not so much concerned about your surroundings. It's not going to indulge you with a pity party. No, it's not going to try to convince you that it's not that bad or get you to look on the bright side. It's not going to bother you with platitudes or try to cheer you up with a motivational poster or get you to keep on trucking. It does acknowledge that this is deep darkness. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And it's hard. And it's rough terrain. And you can't see nothing. But right in the middle of that, Psalm 23 invites you to overhear an intimate conversation between a sheep and its shepherd. Your attention is directed away from the circumstances around you and toward a non-anxious shepherd who is, number one, right there with you in the darkness, and number two, who is not empty-handed. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, one of the most uncomfortable things about when the scene shifts in life is that we feel immediately ill-equipped for what lies ahead. Just just lost a job after 30 years. Never thought I'd ever have to even look for a new one. We're not prepared. Parents just split up. We're empty-handed. I got no resources for dealing with the anger over the abuse that I've suffered. Or just thinking of grief, for example, and how when the weight of that hits you, it feels like there's no way I can get through it. We're plunged into the valley and we got nothing. Nothing except the shepherd. A shepherd who is not ill-equipped for a walk through the valley. He is not empty-handed. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd is not empty-handed. The rod becomes for the shepherd like an extension of his hand. He fashions it as a weapon against predators. He's nimble and forceful with it. With it, he can ward off attacks on his helpless sheep. The staff might be pressed against the side of the sheep to guide them to sure footing. Its hook would be used to draw back the sheep to the place where they need to be. The rod and the staff, instruments of the shepherd's care. 
God does not walk into the valley empty-handed. No matter what we're feeling, no matter how unprepared we are, no matter what we're lacking, the journey through the darkest valley is one that the shepherd is ready and able to make. This psalm invites you to believe that. It's trying to convince you by letting you overhear an intimate conversation between someone who's been through it and the one who brought him through. David's been through it. He's faced numerous attacks, literal attacks from wild beasts. He stood before a giant, escaped repeated attempts by others to take his life. His own people revolted against him. He buried his son, waded through immense guilt over his own sin, suffered the turmoil of a dysfunctional family such that it would make the Kardashians seem stable. But he is not shaken by those things today. They, they do not consume his thoughts or steal his focus. He does not allow the threats of the valley to ratchet up his anxiety or send him into despair. Rather, he finds comfort and confidence by staying close to the shepherd when the way is dark. That's how trust is fashioned. This is where faith is formed. Faith is not a mood or a feeling that comes and goes with the weather. Faith is proved when a path is walked, when a way is followed, when steps are taken, even though you can't see where you're going or find, find solid footing. Yeah, yes, the shepherd leads me on the right path, but as Ben said last week, sometimes the right path is the hard path. Sometimes the right path is the dark path. And we have to decide if this is the, back, the backdrop to the setting in which my relationship with God is going to play out, then am I still ready to say, the Lord is my shepherd? Sometimes shepherds have to lead their sheep through the valley of the shadow in order to get to the green pastures that await. Sometimes parents have to lead their children that way. There will be times when God directs us through the valley because He knows that we need it. He wants to grow us through it. He wants to get us to where we need to go. And there will be other times when we'll end up in the valley because we just got lost. Or the circumstances beyond our control just shifted and they pushed us into this dark place. And a satisfactory answer as to why it happened might be a long time in coming. But regardless of how we got there, with the confidence of Psalm 23, we can know that the shepherd is with us. He is not empty-handed. And he wants to teach us how to trust him when the way is dark. Maybe you are in a dark place. You find yourself in very unsettling circumstances. And, and maybe you've been looking everywhere for someone you could trust, something solid, something settled that, that could calm you down in the midst of the chaotic environment that characterizes your life. Fear has hijacked your thoughts. Emotions are running wild, and you're wondering, is there anything that can settle me down, anyone that can bring me peace, any way to find comfort in the midst of this place I don't want to be? Psalm 23 says, yes. If the Lord is your shepherd, peace and comfort and poise is available in the dark places, but only if you stay intimately close to the shepherd. I've heard people talk about uh, a come-to-Jesus moment. 
They usually describe it as a period of intensity or pain, some kind of difficulty that makes them recognize their need for God. Maybe today needs to be a come-to-Jesus moment for you. You need a U-turn. Not a U-turn. Oh, don't we wish life was that simple? Anytime we go down a dark and dangerous road, we just take all the wheel, twist it right around, and go back to the way life was. If only we had such control. If only we could turn back time. But we can't. Hey, we've lived long enough to know that the circumstances change in life without us having any kind of say in it. Next thing you know, we're in the valley. I mean, literally this week, while I'm typing this message, I got four phone calls for funerals. Three of them for people under 30. You don't just figure a way out of the pain of that. It thrusts us into the darkest valley, and the only way we're going to get through it is by a Y-O-U turn in our focus and our thoughts and our words and our trust. Speak to the shepherd, not just about him. We draw close enough to him where we can speak intimately to one another here in the dark places. It's the only way we're going to find comfort and confidence by staying close to the shepherd when the way is dark. Maybe this is your come to Jesus moment. You need to begin or renew a conversation with the shepherd today. Or maybe for you, you need to think about how your story, how your walk with the shepherd through the dark places will point others to Jesus. Suffering is not to be wasted. And if you're suffering, or if you've suffered down a long, dark road, maybe what you need to recognize today is how you can be an encouragement to others who find themselves hemmed in by the darkness. As you are a non-anxious presence for them, your confident walk with the shepherd can point others to Jesus as well. We've talked a lot in this series about how this psalm points us to Jesus. Everything that we learn about the shepherd in Psalm 23, uh, the way that he guides and corrects, provides and protects, the way he accompanies us in the dark places, the way he leads us, Jesus embodied all of that. He introduces himself as the good shepherd. And there are some distinct ways that Jesus' life reflects the dark circumstances introduced in Psalm 23. The valley of the shadow of death, that was a way that Jesus himself walked. I think of the agonizing prayer in the garden and his betrayal at the hands of one of his closest followers. There's the mobs of screaming crowds working themselves into a frenzy over the false accusations against him, hitting, whipping, spitting on him. There is that long road that he walked through streets lined with haters carrying the cross on his back, slogging it out on the way to the place of the skull. There were times when he was overcome by emotion, crying out in the manner of Psalm 22, There were times when he was marked by a poise and confidence in walking the path marked out for him that is reminiscent of Psalm 23. And in the middle of one of the central scenes of Jesus' final days, there is a table. A table where a meal has been prepared. And that same image is nestled into Psalm 23. Psalm 23 in verse 5, even though it shows us something new, it doesn't get us out of the darkness. In fact, if anything, it introduces even graver threats when it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's an odd image, really. 
I mean, you imagine uh, being surrounded by mocking voices, armies of men uh, flanking you in the valley, banging their chests and pounding their spears against the ground. It's an odd place for a picnic. In fact, it reminds me of a story that I read to my kids, uh, Berenstein Bears, called uh, The Bears Picnic. And the whole plot of the book, it revolves around the bears trying to find the perfect place to have their picnic. Of course, they're largely unsuccessful, which is why the book goes on and on and on and on. Um, so it begins, they sit down in their first spot and a locomotive come whisk, comes whistling by. Papa, I do not like to complain, but your wonderful spot is next to a train. And so they go on from there and they get to a place and a school field trip interrupts their plans and they continue only to be ousted by an airplane and a, the rain and the lightning and a swarm of mosquitoes. <laughs> I do not like to say so, Dad, but another good spot has just gone bad. And so they keep going until eventually they just come back home and eat at their kitchen table. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Which I get it, right? I'd have done the same thing. My life sometimes can be an endless search to find the right circumstances. I can't eat here. I can't live here. I can't grow here. How can I do what God wants me to do here? Find me the right setting. Let me arrange things how I want them to be. God, keep me away from all the bad stuff. Help me stay out of harm's way. Don't let me be disturbed. But the shepherd of Psalm 23 does not choose to work like that. He does not promise to keep me from dark valleys or away from the threat of opposition. Instead, I learned that these circumstances, even if they're not what I want or not what I would choose, They do not prevent God from being God. Anywhere God chooses can be a place of blessing. God is not threatened by the armies flanking you in the valley. He is still God in the presence of evil, in the middle of darkness, in the face of enemies. He is still leading. He is still guiding. He is still loving. He is still capable. Right here, in this place, in these circumstances where the edges are sharp and the rocks are slick and the darkness is thick and the struggle is real. God says none of those threats can prevent me from being with my people. They cannot stop me from defending the sheep of my pasture and they will not thwart my plans to bless my people, anointing them and blessing them until their cup overflows. Your enemies may be many, but I am in that place and I am not empty-handed. Amen. The table prepared before David. A mark of God's provision and blessing. Testified that not the darkest valley, not any number of enemies can stop God from doing what He desires. Pursuing us with goodness and mercy all the days of our life and inviting us to dwell in His house forever. The table prepared before Jesus was a testimony to all of those same things. And it's a table that is prepared for us today. We call it the Lord's Supper. And those who are going to serve it can begin to take their place. The meal that was first served here was eaten under the dark shadow of betrayal and accusation and the crucifixion of Jesus. The night that he was betrayed, in fact, he sat down around this table with his disciples. He took bread, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and gave it to them, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, 
drink it and remember how I walked into the valley of the shadow of death for your sake. So that table was prepared right here in the valley of the shadow, in the presence of enemies, as one more time the shepherd proved, I am with you in the valley and I am not empty-handed. So as we are invited to the table today to take the bread and cup, let's, let's do that with confidence, knowing that the shadow of death that overcame Jesus was itself overcome by the light of his resurrection. Let us be assured that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work within us. Let that give us hope today in our dark valleys. Let this be a moment where we don't let our focus rest on the struggles and the circumstances around us, but instead we focus on Jesus. Let him lead you. Let him lead you in the moments of worry and fear and pain when the way is rough and the path is dark. Speak to him, knowing that he is there. Jesus himself knows what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow. He is with you, and he is ready and able to lead you through it. Let's pray for our communion meal. God, as we share together in this meal, we pray that you would give us a confidence and poise that transcends our circumstances. Like David, may we be able to say, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Thank you, Jesus, for your journey through the darkness to save us. We remember that and celebrate you now. Meet us here in this meal that you have prepared. It's in your name we pray. Amen.